Okay, if you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke. I'll be reading Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I covet the protection and the work and the guiding of the Holy Spirit that I represent your intention in these words when you originally gave them, that I say them and re-say them, say them in ways that help us and prick us towards you. To love you. To be more desperate for you. To be more used for you. To the glory of your name. Amen. Money is really dangerous. And money is a means of doing great good in the world. Boy. I hate, and I use that very clearly, very deliberately, I hate the manipulations of the Word of Faith movement when it comes to money. I hate the prosperity gospel because it twists the gospel into a gospel that ends up not being a gospel by promoting idolatry. By saying the essence of your Christian life is to use God to get more money or the stuff that money buys. Now having said that, here is an undeniable truth. Money is tightly connected to true spirituality. To a person's depth and seriousness toward Christ and toward the gospel. See, 
Here's a barometer. Here's a general barometer. It's not perfect, but it's pretty accurate. If you want to know the giving habits of a particular professing Christian in a local church, you don't need to go to the church books. Just observe people in church life. Their passions, their intensities, their ability to hear, to be changed, to prick, what they are obsessed about or not. And you can pretty accurately deduce how they give to the local church. If they're the kind of people where the Christian religion is, yeah, I add a little bit of that to my life and kind of be a church attender. You can pretty much know they don't give, or if they do, way below 1% of their income. If you see people who their passion in life is Jesus, the response to the life of the church, the preaching of the gospel, their interaction in the local church community, it's like, look at that life. It's pretty assured they give based on the biblical standard of the tithe or 10%. It's not perfect. It's fairly accurate. And no wonder Jesus says, where your money is, there will your heart be also. Christianity, at its core, is about what one values. Money by its definition, has to do with value. Just take out bills right now. It'll tell you this one is valued at $1. This one is $10. You can, you can purchase in this world more stuff with this one. We have this thing called currency in differing cultures, so it makes it easier to trade and show what we value by exchanging pieces of paper or electronic clicks for the value of stuff. That's what money is. Value. Faith. Saving faith. To be a person who comes to faith in Christ, it means you have a heart that values Christ. The cross. The gift of salvation. And it means at the core. I just, here's, I want to say, there's something of the work of the Spirit that means this is never perfected here, but it's genuine. Christ is more valuable than any possession or any amounts of money that could buy the things I want. And no wonder Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money is one of the most significant things in everybody's life because that money in our lives shows what we value. 
And it shows the hierarchy of many differing values and where they stand in our life. Because money, by definition, is that thing we use to exchange for what we value to one degree or another. Like food. Like housing. Like education. Clothing. The gospel. The local church. What we do with our money shows what we value with our heart. Why does that guy spend almost 80% of his money on illegal drugs? That's where his heart is. Why does this person spend 40% of their money on alcohol? Because that's their deepest desire. In value. Why does this person send so much money on education? They value Food, they value it. Money shows what we value. Whether it is food, whether it is clothing, whether it's alcohol, whether it's dates with wife. There's a hierarchy. And a lot of these things are very valid in life. If you don't eat food, you die. Where does it go? That money is always showing us where our heart is. So, let's go to the text. Chapter 12 of Luke. We begin at verse 13. But before I read verse 13, notice all the red letters going back to verse 1. Jesus has been preaching, and there's crowds there. And He's been preaching on some really intense issues. Like, I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who can not only kill you, but throw your soul into hell. And then He goes on to say, Confess Me before men, or I will not confess you in heaven. He goes on to warn about the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. This is intense stuff. Jesus has been preaching about heaven and about hell, about forgiveness and about eternal unforgiveness. And then you read in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And you think, did he hear a word? I, that might even be a good thing later, but there's a context. Was he listening to a thing that was being said? I mean, it's like a, it's like a, a doctor coming into the room. He sits down and he tells the man, we found cancer riddling your body. Guy's listening. Finally, the doctor takes enough of a breath. Hey, doc, those are really nice shoes. Can you tell me where I might be able to buy some? And you think, is he hearing a thing? This guy did not hear a thing. He didn't hear what Jesus was saying that, sir, your biggest problem is your sin. And God 
who will judge. He blocked all of that out because he was obsessed with what he thought was his biggest problem. His brother was trying to take all the inheritance. And so Jesus saw behind this man's words a window into his heart. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How is Jesus going to do pastoral counseling now? But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? His answer is, No, I won't. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of your inheritance dispute. That's not my calling. But I have something to say to you and to your brother and to all the rest of you who are listening to me that has to do with your heart concerning the money of your inheritance. Verse 15. And he said to them, Got it? Now it's spreading out. You guys hear this? Got a word for you. Take precaution. Take care. And be on your guard against an enemy. All covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here's Jesus. He he sees a guy who fears he's going to lose out on a chunk of cash and property. And he's growing bitter with his brother. And behind it, Jesus sees that this inheritance to this guy is a deadly poison that's blinding him to real life. That's how Jesus put it elsewhere when He said, As for what was sown, the Word of God being preached, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the Word of God. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This inheritance was deceiving the man. The money was saying to him, if you don't get your share, your life will be wasted. You will lose out on what this life could be for you. You can just hear money whisper into his ear. Get me. Get me and get more and more of me. And you will really be happy. You will really be fulfilled. That's why the lotto is so captivating to so many people. I just want it. Just read the books on what happens to those who do. (laughs) 
It's just not true that it will bring them happiness. That's why money can be dangerous. Paul warned this way in 1 Timothy 6. The love of money. Not love like, what can I do for you today, money? Can I love you? No. Love like you love air because it's your life. The love of money. What can money do for me? Is the root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul knew that riches will to the grave whisper in the Christian's ears. Get me. So he warned. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, Paul's saying, do not believe the lie of money. Your life will be so wasted. So boring, so unfulfilled if you don't get more. Money is saying, I'm your life. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, the Bible is saying, no. Eternal life is real life. And thus, Jesus' warning is beware. Be on your guard against covetousness. I want that desire. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. I need more. I need more. Greediness. Beware that that may grow beyond your desire for more of God. Why is he warning it? Verse 15b. See the word for? Here's the reason. It means because. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or just to turn the logic around. Look, because life is not about the abundance of your possessions and the size of your house and your bank account and your retirement fund, therefore guard your soul with your life. That's Jesus' command. Because the lie of money, meaning money and why is money valuable? Only because there's stuff to buy with it. The desires of what will make me happy is a lie that will constantly, if we're not on guard, arouse 
covetousness, which Paul clearly said is idolatry. False worship. Worship of a false God. And that's why the danger of covetousness is huge. Jesus is saying to this guy, in other words, this inheritance, sir, is the knife that may cut open your spiritual throat. And so Paul warns elsewhere, those who, and this doesn't mean merely rich people, or even middle class people, it can be poverty stricken people, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Jesus says to this guy and to us, the main issue is not whether you get your share of the inheritance, but whether your wanting it so much will destroy you. This is not what your life consists of. Is his point. It's not about having lots of really nice stuff for a very short period of time. It's about knowing God here. Knowing you will know Him and be knowing Him forever if you're in Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in His prayer to the Father, this is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom You have sent. And so Jesus goes on in Luke 12 to tell a parable now to illustrate this point, beginning with verse 16. And He told them a parable Saying, that's a story to illustrate a point. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself 
and is not rich toward God. Now, there was nothing wrong with this farmer's land producing plenty. There was nothing wrong with him being a good businessman and having some luck with the weather in profiting more than he ever had before. There's nothing wrong with opening up a restaurant and knowing how to do it and being successful at it. And it grows. And finally, your profit margin grows. There's nothing wrong with doing a good job in the corporation or in a small company and getting a promotion and getting a raise. The world needs farmers. The world needs stores. We need the arts. We need computer software. You can go on and on. And we need doctors. We need dentists. And we need them to be able to make a profit. That's not a sinful, bad thing. They will do a better job. That's not Jesus' point here. That's not the evil of the parable. The man's not called a fool because he was a wise businessman in making money. Why is he called a fool then? Not only a fool, Jesus says he's a fool who will lose his soul. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? The answer of the text, why did Jesus say this guy was a Fool had to do not with his making a profit, but how he used his profit. Because the way he used his profit in the parable pointed to his heart, and his heart showed what he really valued, and that's why he is called a fool. That he was not rich toward God vertically. Look at verse 19 again. The man says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, money, stuff, security, laid up for many years. Okay. Soul, this is what you need to do. Relax. Eat. It doesn't just mean eat. It means eat really well. Drink. Party. Be merry. What he plans to do with his extra wealth shows what he really values. My treasure. I'm free now to do what I really want. I want to relax. I want to drink. I want to eat really expensive and good tasting food every day. That's what my short mortal life is really all about. And bigger barns are what make it possible. That's the text, isn't it? And many people might ask, even church people, wait a minute, what's wrong with that? 
The guy made his money honestly. And he is, he is producing something that peoples need. Food. That's, that's a good thing. So why shouldn't he be able to say, I'm going to just eat and be merry and to drink and to relax. And that's my life. What is wrong with that? The answer is there's nothing at all wrong with it. If there is no God. If there's no resurrection to come unto judgment or unto eternal life in Jesus Christ. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if, if the gospel of Jesus is not true, if he did not literally rise from the dead bodily and be changed to a glorified physical state forever to which all who are in him are promised, if that is just a religion but it's not historically and really true, quote, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The problem here is that there is a God and there is a glorious gospel and there is a judgment to come and this God Himself above all created things to which monies represent in value this God is infinitely more valuable. He is the eternal river of true delight and happiness. He's the one who sent His Son to deliver people from our darkened hearts that were eating pig slop of more cars, better cars, better houses, bigger retirement. And He delivered us. And there is a resurrection to come. For those who it's evidenced in the hearing of the gospel, Jesus Christ has become a greater treasure than all the treasures of the world. When Jesus says in the parable, You fool! He meant it. His point is clear. This man went way off track because he handled his riches in a way that fails to show he valued God. That's why Jesus drives the point home so clearly in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, why? Because he just said it. One's life, real life, does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. The commentator Kent Hughes modernizes the parable. Quote, you remember he was raised in the 1950s. Quote, 
At age 15, my soul bought into the great materialistic delusion that grips many souls their entire three score and ten years right to the grave. Flat-topped adolescents in 57 Chevys become graying old men in European coops. Life for them is about, is about an abundance of possessions, designer clothing to effect the impression of originality and brilliance, significant architecture to house or to house a shrinking frame, imposing porticos to impress one's guest with one's importance, and a coffin that demonstrates that you knew how to live. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, here's the kicker of Jesus' parable. The man was not rich toward God. But he took his honest living, his hard-earned money, and stored it up to be used only upon his flesh. Temporal desires. The idea of, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Just don't leave the context. Because I think the context of what this parable is saying explains what he means. It's the, it's the opposite of laying up earthly tre- treasures for your own desires only. Being rich toward God is the opposite of living and partying and playing and spending money as if that's the reason we were created and not that we were created in order to first find our joy and fulfillment in God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of acting as if life is all about the abundance of possessions. Instead of, it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Being rich toward God is a heart that values God. And it gets reflected in actions down here. Being rich toward God in the context is using one's money to show how much we value God. One of the best known sayings of Jesus in the world, I mean Christian, non-Christian, all that, is when He's sitting in a temple and He's watching people put their money into the offering box. And then, and Luke will later do this in chapter 21, He'll show it. And then there's a poor widow. And she put in two copper coins. 
And Jesus said, she put in more than all these rich people. Well, obviously she didn't put in more. Well, one-to-one value. Percentage-wise, she did. And it wasn't merely that. Jesus knew that woman values God. And that's where that came from. This is exactly what the wealthy farmer failed to do. And that's Jesus' point. It revealed the nature of his heart, which showed he didn't treasure God. Summarizing this parable, John Piper says, quote, Again, the issue isn't that the man's flesh prospered. The issue is that God ceased to be His supreme treasure. If God had been His treasure, what would He have done differently? Instead of saying, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He would have said something like, God, this is all Yours. You have made my fields prosper. Show me how to express with my riches that You are my treasure. And the riches are not. I already have enough. I don't need a bigger and bigger safety net. I don't need better food and better drink and better parties. I do indeed want to make merry, but not in self-indulgent parties with rich retirees. I want to make merry with the people who have been helped by my generosity. I want the fullest blessing of giving because You taught me, Lord, it is more blessed to give than to receive. End quote. Greed, more money, bigger retirement, and worldly pleasures. All of that which goes over the fence to be covetousness. The term Jesus says, watch out for. That covetousness is a constant battle for every single Christian doesn't matter how much money you make. If you're, if you're below the poverty line or you're way above the 1%, it's irrelevant. If you're a believer, it's an enemy. And it's constant. And so Jesus says, beware. Guard against it. See, if you have an enemy who wants you dead, and it's really easy for that enemy to break into your house and kill you dead, you would be a fool not to put in a security system of protection against that enemy. If you have an enemy of your soul, 
who wants to kill your soul by causing you to not be rich toward God, then you would be a fool not to put in protective measures against the enemy of covetousness. And so, as I close, that's what I'm going to recommend. A few protective measures. First, be committed to the spiritual discipline of prayer. Before the Bible. Now, here's what I'm going to add to that now. Now, part of that, make part of that, that prayerful introspection, constant, say it this way, diagnosis of your own heart is the cancer of covetousness growing. By asking yourself the question, what percentage of my thoughts and my time and my passions and my worries are devoted to material things? Ah, if I can just get that. Ooh, I can't wait to get that. Ooh, the thought of even getting this makes me happy. Compared to how much percentage? 10%, 25%, 75%? Eh, 15%. How can I know God better? Do a constant measurement on your joy over material things versus your joy in pursuing God and knowing God better. If your new clothes cause your joy to just skyrocket in comparison to Daily pursuit of God, Bible, hearing sermons, church life is boring, but what really does it to you? Knew this, knew that. Bells should go off in your head. Warning, 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 warning. Someone's breaking in to the windows of the soul of your house. How do I respond when I lose material things? Does my joy totally shut down? Have I lost my joy in God when a sibling steals my inheritance? That's what happened here. Your investment just crashes. Is it over for you for the next two months when it comes to God? Bad sign. Alright, that's the first. Your quiet time. Being with God. Introspect. Secondly, continue to feed your soul the truth. Just start with the truth of this text. The rich man thought that he was wise. And he was wise in some ways. He thought through everything very carefully. But God calls him a fool. Because a fool thinks about life. They may be the best businessmen in the world, but they don't include God 
or eternity or the judgment to come in their thoughts and in their financial plans. And so at death here, that very night, the fool was separated from his riches and God spoke to him. Give an account of all the goods I put into your charge to take care for me. So, tell yourself the truth. Live in light of eternity. Every day may be your last. And with that then, feed on the promises of God. Just a couple. Philippians 3.8 Paul writes, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Or Philippians 4.19, God says to the Apostle Paul, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Or the way Jesus said it in Matthew 6. This is all the basic needs of life. I like to eat. We like to drink. We like to have cover over us. We like to have transportation. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father, here's the truth with a promise. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So, first, spiritual discipline, prayer, evaluation of your heart, material things, non-material before God, where's your joy really coming from? Feed yourself the Word and feed yourself the truth. And finally, third, if you don't practice giving to God the first fruits off the top of all your income as an automatic, regular acknowledgement of God's ownership of all that you have, then put that protective fence against covetousness into practice. Some people are like me. I I was raised in a family that did not practice tithing. So when I became a Christian, I mean, that idea went in the world. But it just took a few weeks. We're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. It just took a few weeks to say, well, how do I live now? This way. Oh, there it is. Awesome. And what freedom to say... Of all the income, and you give me power to make money, there's a portion, and there's a biblical starting point, standards you gave, and I'm free to do that? If you haven't, do it and see what He does in you. It is a protective security system 
and constant reminder to not be the rich fool. And parents, if you don't train your children, when you get a dollar, you start here at 10%, a dime of that, or $10, a dollar of that, you put into Michael's or little house over, if you're not blessing your children with that discipline as they grow up, you're stealing from them this joy that God is God and Christ is the Savior and their money is a vehicle for true, deep, tangible worship. Okay. Our money, our possessions are a means of great spiritual danger. And they are a means of consistent worship of our Savior and a moving toward God and being rich toward God. Let's go. So flee till the grave. Flee covetousness and live for eternity. Let's sing.